Amen. It's good to worship together. Uh, my name is Mark Van Andel. I'm part of the teaching team here at Grace, and uh, I live in Detroit, Michigan. It's a privilege to be with you and worship today. Thank you. Got some Detroit folks here. I really admire this church and respect this church because we choose to enter into difficult topics of conversation. So this summer, we've talked about politics and racism and money, finances, and there's nothing off limits here. We all want to learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ in every facet of our life. So I really appreciate that. And so uh, today I titled this sermon, The Goal is Equality. And lest you think this is like some sort of Bernie Sanders stumping speech that I'm giving today, uh, this is actually from the text of today. This actual statement comes from our text today. But I'm not trying to be political in talking about poverty. I just want to expose us to some things and a perspective that I believe that the word of God speaks to us that will bless us today. Last week, John Shaw spoke about poverty specifically with the examples of his own ministry that comes from the Congo, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And one thing that he highlighted that I really respected was he was talking about poverty from a relational perspective. And I kind of want to pick up on what he was talking about and apply that to us here in the States and specifically in my context in Detroit so that we can start to explore this. So thinking about the relational dynamics of poverty. But... Uh, lest we start to think that poverty, we start to write off poverty as not being financially linked. There's a relational component, but there is real financial needs. And I want to speak specifically about Detroit in this. You can see these statistics. Detroit is the most impoverished major city in America, with 39.3, almost 40% of people living below the poverty line of $24,008 per family of four. Almost 40% of our city lives under the poverty level, which is $24,000 a year. Then concentrated poverty. Not only do we have poverty, but it's concentrated in specific places so that 32% of those people live in census tracts where at least 40% of the population is below the federal poverty line. So poverty in Detroit is a deep reality. Financial poverty is here, and it's linked in part to this relational poverty that we also experience. And it's easy to kind of write this off and start to say, okay, well, if you're financially impoverished, then uh, you really have nothing to offer. And, or I have all this to offer because I have some financial perspective. And I think that the paradox of poverty is that sometimes we start to get it twisted. We start to think of people's value connected to their financial income. So we have to kind of look at that and start to explore that and discover God has created all of us with value beyond what we, our checkbook lists that we have money. But it's also important to remember that financial poverty is a really devastating thing to live in. So we're going to look today at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'm going to give you some background information on that first. So uh, when the church was first born, when people st first started worshiping Jesus after he uh, rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven, the church started in Jerusalem. I like maps because it reminds me this, this is a real place with real people. So the church started in Jerusalem. You can see that in the bottom right corner there. From there, it spread out for a variety of reasons. It spread out south and it spread out north around the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, the the Christians eventually went to Antioch and it spread, and that's where the church was first called Christians, where people were first called Christians was in Antioch. And that church in Antioch had a missionary vision to say, we believe that Jesus sent us into the entire world to spread the good news about his life and death and resurrection. So they sent Paul and another, other disciples out into the region that's now Europe. So they sent them through present-day Turkey, you see Galatia there, 
into Ephesus and then beyond. And Paul also went up north. He got this vision of this man from Macedonia calling him. And Macedonia is present-day Greece. You can see the kind of the three fingers sticking down into the Aegean Sea there. And uh, that's where the Philippian church was. So the church, Paul went there and started a church there. And then he went south into the Achaia province. And he started churches in Corinth and Athens there. So today he's, he's preaching, he's writing this letter, imploring the people of Corinth, of this church in Corinth, to be part of this give back project. It's kind of like he's collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem at this time has become incredibly poor. They had oppression from Jews who wanted to squash the sect of Christianity. And then there was a famine in the land in AD 46. So those things combined made it really difficult for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul goes to these new churches, these Gentile churches, and he says, hey, we've got to give back to the Jewish church back in Jerusalem. So that's the setting, just background. Some of you may be bored. You feel like now I'm in history class and uh, I, I'm on summer break, so I don't want to go there. But now we're, we're going to pick up the text here, <clears throat> now that you have this background information. This is 2 Corinthians 8, <clears throat> verses 1 through 15, eventually is where we're going to get. This is the word of the Lord. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others." So Paul here is imploring this Corinthian church, saying, please give to this cause. See what the Macedonian churches have done? They, in their poverty, have given more than we could have expected. It, it's possible that Paul even thought to this that they shouldn't even ask the, the uh, Macedonian churches for money because they were so poor. Like, they may have even considered it something to avoid, but the Macedonian churches, like, demanded the opportunity, please let us give. We want to participate in this giving. So now he turns to the Corinthian church and he says, hey, can you guys step up on this too? See the example of the Macedonians. Come on, we can do this. We can give back to the church. And I think sometimes if we start thinking about the Macedonian church, if we start thinking about the poor, we start thinking, maybe they don't have anything to offer. Maybe we as the wealthy ones have everything to offer. When we first moved to Detroit, my family and I, that was 11 years ago now, when we first moved, I wanted to be a learner. I wanted to kind of learn and explore, but I think I also had, had a sense that I had a lot to offer. I'm like, I've got a great history. I've got great education. I've got great connections to resources. Maybe we can really make a difference here in this ministry in Detroit. So it was kind of with an arrogant attitude that I approached this, and when we first went to visit the home that we were going to buy, we ended up bumping into one of our neighbors. And the first neighbor that we bumped into, his name was Reggie, and he lived next door, and he said, we've actually been praying for a Christian family to move into this home. 
So suddenly, I who had this big thing to offer, suddenly I'm being ministered to by my neighbor, Reggie. And then the first time I took the garbage out, I met Stacy, who lives across the street, and he's a self-taught theologian who ended up debating the five points of Calvinism with me right there on the side of our road as we sat with our garbage cans. Then uh, we were in desperate need. We had a young family at that time. We had young children, and we needed babysitters. Well, fortunately, God placed right next to us a family that had twin college girls who were willing to babysit for us. And I remember the first night that we asked Celeste to come and babysit for our kids, and she came into our home. She had such energy, and she loved our kids so, so well. But I remember coming back home after our date. My wife and I had gone out, and when we came into the house, it seemed like she was really nervous. She started uh, grabbing her things together, and I was like, did something go wrong? And she's like, no, everything was great. And then as I started to reach in for my wallet, all of a sudden she ran right out the front door, like literally ran out the front door. And I was like, is something wrong? And I said, hey, let me pay you. And she said, no, no, we can't accept anything from you. This is just what neighbors do. We just look out for each other like this. Suddenly my assumption that I had all this connection to resource, I had all this stuff to offer was flipped upside down. And I started realizing, no, I'm here to be in relationship with people in my neighborhood. I'm here to be interdependent, to be connected in reciprocal relationships with folks. And God started changing my heart and mind towards that. And I think that's what Paul is talking about here in this setting. Paul is talking about, hey, we want to be connected relationally to this church in Jerusalem and and to the church in Macedonia. Let's all get together on this project and let's use money as the thing that brings us together. Because money can oftentimes be a thing that separates us. In marriages, divorces oftentimes happen because of financial issues, right? Or your broken relationships sometimes happen because you loaned somebody money and then they didn't pay you back or they didn't do what you asked them to do. This is how relationships get broken. And it's like Paul is saying, no, let's use this giving effort as a way for us to build our relationships with each other. And Paul's not trying to do this out of guilt. He's not going, you have to do this. They're poor. You have to. No, he's saying, I implore you. I'm kind of begging you out of love. You see, guilt is a horrible motivator for giving. It might work for the short term, but it's really not a good long-term motivator. Love is a much better motivator. And Paul's saying, can we grow in love for each other? He says, the Macedonian churches gave themselves first of all to God, and then they gave themselves to each of us. Then they came into relationship with us. And that reminds me, Paul had to be thinking about the words of his Lord, of Jesus, when Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then to love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, let's, let's be totally devoted to the Lord and then let's give out of our abundance to each other. Let's share with each other out of that deep love that we have for our neighbors. Now the problem is, oftentimes our neighbors are separated from us because we tend to segregate ourselves financially by our income levels. This is just a reality of our culture. We tend to isolate based on financial income. So you saw that concentrated poverty stat. Part of this in Detroit is that people with any kind of means necessary have completely left the city and abandoned the city, leaving just such concentrated poverty. And it's really difficult to have people who are in concentrated poverty be able to get themselves out of that without neighbors who are helping each other to rebuild communities. This is where my heart's passion is. I want want us to have vibrant, diverse, socioeconomic communities in Detroit so that we can start to see each other, help each other out, 
and help each other. Whenever I sit with my neighbors and I, I say, please tell me what it was like back in the uh, 60s, 70s when you were growing up in this neighborhood. And inevitably they say this to me. They say, Mark, when I grew up, if I got in trouble down the street, I'd get a whooping in that house and then I'd come home, I'd get a whooping in my house. And it's kind of entertaining, right? It was at their expense, but they always share that same story because they say there was a shared sense of values and a sense that we were all looking out for each other and helping each other. They were being good neighbors. And our city is so desperately lacking that because we've got this relational breakdown now and we've left people who are struggling to survive and keep their heads above water all alone in these neighborhoods. So Paul's saying we've got to love God and love our neighbors and do this from a method of interdependence relationally. The ironic part about this is he's asking Gentile believers in Macedonia and Achaia to give back to the Jewish church back in Jerusalem. Now, it seems to me, because I read the text, there's a lot of tension and friction in the new church about Jews and Gentiles and how that should work. It seems to me that Jews probably looked at Gentiles and said, you're not law keepers, you're not part of the chosen covenant people of God, so we're looking down on you. So here's the Jews kind of looking down on the Gentiles, and now Paul is saying, hey, Gentiles, Let's knock the socks off this Jewish church by giving them so generously. Let's break down these barriers that could keep us apart. The Jewish-Gentile divide, let's break that down by giving generously. Let's overwhelm them with generosity so that we can start to see the church come together in unity. This is Paul's heart as he's sharing with this, these people. And it's really, it's, he's saying it's not just about finances. This is about our spiritual connection. This is about our spiritual discipleship pattern. This is the example that he points out in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, is he saying here, well, you know Jesus was loaded in heaven. He had, he had mansions galore, and he gave up all that money to be poor with you? No, it's going so much deeper than that. It's a poverty of spirit. Jesus saw that we were desperate to be back in relationship with the Father who loved us. Jesus saw that we were sinking in our own efforts to be able to reach back up to God and to make ourselves acceptable to a holy God. And Jesus said, no, I will not accept that. I will not allow that to be the case. I'm going to go and leave heaven to be with God, with my people, with the people that I love, to be able to live amongst them and to be able to draw them back to the Father. And I'm going to give up everything. Everything, even up to my own life, I'm going to give up my life. That's what Jesus did for us. The scripture says, for a good man, someone might dare to give up their life. But the scripture says also, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have this mentality that well, let's give to the deserving poor. Let's give to those people who are really showing that they're working hard and let's give financially to them. If we apply that mentality to our own story of our relationship with Jesus Christ, where do we stand? Were we deserving of God's grace? No! By no means were we deserving. And yet God in his love, his deep abundant love for us, reached out and poured himself out for us through Jesus Christ so that we could be brought back into the family. This is the paradox of generosity. This is the paradox of poverty. We who were weak and needy, Jesus reached out and came to us to provide the riches 
of God's glorious grace through his death and resurrection. Paul says, this is what I want you to remember. Receive what God has given to you. Receive. Look at all that he's given to you. Now live in that. Live that out in your daily lives. You are not deserving. You do not deserve anything, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Receive that and then share that with other people. And that has a connection to our finances. This is how Paul continues in verse 10. He says, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul reiterates, he's saying, I'm not asking you to take a vow of poverty and to give up everything. I just want equality. I want people's needs to be met. There's a need here. Can you meet it? I'm not asking you to to go, oh, I'm going to go ahead and do this because I'm supposed to give away all my money. No, Paul is saying, please just give out of the abundance that God has given you and trust that your plenty will meet the needs of their need. And then that their plenty in return will meet your needs in due time. He's saying there's this reciprocity that has to take place. Trust that God has something for you in this poor church, Jewish church in Jerusalem. God has good things from these people for you. Don't just think, oh, they, they want our money again. They, want our, they always want our money. It's just a black hole. We're always just going to keep giving and that church in Jerusalem is always going to stay stuck. No! Paul says this is a reciprocal nature. This is how God is going to help to shift and to make equality come about in the church. The goal is equality. I saw this this past week. Uh, I I minister in different communities in Detroit. One is Brightmoor Community. It's in the northwest part of Detroit. And I minister there with Nate Bull, who's also a fellow pastor. And we walk the streets of Brightmoor to be able to minister to people. We hand out water and soda. We're handing out water and soda, and all of a sudden this man comes out, and he's like, you guys are handing out, like, all the houses around him are either abandoned or boarded up. They're, like, devastated. We had just seen a deer because there's so many vacant land. There was a deer sitting in one of these uh, lots. So this man comes up to us. He says, you guys are giving away water? I want to share with you. Let me give, give you what I've got. So he reaches in and pulls out this case of water, and he starts pouring it into our cooler so that we can share with his neighbors. And then we bumped into Mama T., And Mama T is like, she's been in the neighborhood forever. And she says, hey, Nate, I know that you're an artist. I know that you like to do oil paintings. Let me pull this out for you. And she picked out for him a frame that would fit one of his paintings. You see, we're created in the image of God. And part of the image of God, God is a giver. And when we start to say, oh, because I have financial means, I'm the giver. I get to have the image of God for me. But the poor do not have that. That's a lie. We start to say, oh, well, the world is divided into givers and receivers, and people who are in that mode are just always going to stay that way. No! People who receive need to give too. 
It needs to be this reciprocity, but oftentimes we don't even recognize it because we're not in relationship with people. We're so distant, we start to just see it as an exchange, a transaction where we just say, okay, well, I'll give you this and then you give me that. And really what it ends up being is we don't get to benefit from what the poor have to offer to us. I'm in relationship consistently with people who don't know where their next meal will come from. Some of you may know what that's like. I've never had that experience. In fact, I don't like that. I like to know where my next 17 meals are coming from. Like, I I like to know in advance, like Costco in advance, like 60 rolls of toilet paper in advance. (laughs) That's how I like to work, but I encounter people who are like, I can't, I don't know where I'm going to eat tomorrow. I don't know what's going to be there. But their trust in God to provide puts me to shame every day. They trust God to provide their daily bread for them. I see people and encounter people who are trusting God every day and their faith puts mine to shame. And I'm starting to try and glean that from them. I'm starting to try and say, what would it look like if I really trusted God for my daily bread? Paul saw the same thing. You see this last verse, it says, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Paul is quoting the Old Testament. In Exodus, when God had called his people out of slavery and brought them into the wilderness, and these slaves who were not slaves anymore, but now were learning how to be a new people, they started to say, hey, it was better for us back in Egypt when we were slaves because at least we got to eat then. And God says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide daily bread for you. You're going to go out tomorrow morning, and on the ground are going to be these little wafers. It's called manna. And what I want you to do is gather up some manna and then bring it into your house and then eat that for that day and then trust that tomorrow morning the manna is going to be there again. Ironically, if people gathered more manna than they needed for that day, the next morning they woke up, you know what happened? It was rotten and had maggots in it. Every time they collected more than they needed, it had gone bad. So Paul uses this example to say, hey, look, God, our Father, provides for all of our needs. If you give right now, you can trust that God's going to continue to meet your needs in the future. If you give generously out of your abundance, God will continue to meet your needs. He is your good, good Father, and he will meet you in this place. It reminds me and echoes of the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, where Jesus is talking about what we have needs for and how to deal with money in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will will be also. Jesus is saying, it's like manna. If you depend on me, give, give generously and share and then you will know that you're treasure is in the right place, your heart is in the right place, our money and our hearts are so closely connected and and Paul is referencing these things to say, come on, give out of your abundance, recognize that God's going to take care of you, he's given you so much, rest in that so that everyone's needs may be met. And we do this in a relational way and I love this about Grace Ann Arbor too, this church is so great in the way that we start to say, we're going to give to things that we're connected to. The world is overwhelming if you've got all these needs. But we're going to give what we're connected to. So we're connected to Jason and Michelle. We're going to give them some money to be able to support them in their ministry that they're called to. 
And then we're, we're connected to John Shaw. We're going to give his family some money so they can go back to the Congo and they can be connected there. This is the way that we give. In fact, the ministry house that we use in Brightmore needed some work to be done. And there was an Eagle Scout, a high school kid from Grace Canton, who organized a group of people to be able to rehab, to refinish the walls and the flooring of this ministry house. This is a high school kid who's reaching out out of his abundance. He's giving. So Grace is already reaching out to this start church startup, this Hesed community church that we're starting in Brightmore. He's, he's, God is already providing for that through your generosity as a church because of the relational connections. And I just want to continue to encourage you to lean into that, press into that, because uh, there is a reality that there's a segregation that we have between rich and poor in this country. And uh, Shane Claiborne said this really well in his uh, book called uh, The Irresistible Revolution. He says this, I had come to see that the great tragedy of the church is not that rich Christians do not care about the poor, but that rich Christians don't know the poor. He's talking about relationship and connection. He concludes that quote by saying, I truly believe that when the poor meet the rich, riches will have no meaning. And when the rich meet the poor, we will see poverty come to an end. I truly believe this too, that part of this is the relational piece that we as a church need each other. We need to be connected relationally. We need to have our hearts break for the things that are breaking our brothers and sisters in, in Detroit and in the Congo, in Cambodia, all around the world. We need to have our hearts broken by those things so that we can give generously and that we can serve and have this reciprocal relationship. The Corinthian church listened to this call. How do I know it? In Romans chapter 15, this is what uh, Paul says there. He says, For Macedonia and Achaia, that's the Corinthian church, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. This is written after the fact. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. This is the relational connection of reciprocity that happens that God desires for us to learn from each other. Rich and poor, across ethnic and racial lines, God wants the church to be one in unity and he uses money and our generosity to be able to teach us those things and to be able to help us learn from people who are different from us. This is God's heart so that we would be able to alleviate the suffering, first of all, that everyone's needs would be met. That's what God desires through this. And that we each get to grow in our relationship with the Lord of trust, of receiving, and of giving so that we can have this sense of, yes, I get to receive and I get to give. That's God's character, to be able to receive praises from us and to be able to give us grace and blessing on top of that. And then that the church would be unified. This is Paul's desire. It's my desire. I believe it's God's desire for all of us that we would be unified together. So what's some practical things that we can do for this? What are, you're sitting there going, okay, well, tell me what to do. This is what I'd like you to consider. I'd like to encourage you to pray for God to speak to you regarding poverty and unity in the church. Just pray and say, God, I want you to show me what, what part I can play, what role I can play. It might be to support Jason and Michelle. It might be to support uh, John Shaw and the Congo. You, you can do as the Lord leads, but just press into that. Pray and say, God, how can I be involved? And then I would say step towards the financially poor. For those of you who don't have any interaction with poor folks in your life, I would say step towards that. 
The first thing would be do some reading and research. That's an easy thing. You can just pick up a book. I put some things up on this slide so you can see some authors that I recommend who, be able, who interact with these things. If you want to take notes, write these down. Or if you want to take a picture of it with your cell phone, I'll leave it up for about three seconds yet so you get your cell phone out. But write down some things, start to learn and read about this so that you can start to see how does God work through these uh, situations? How does God deal with poverty especially urban poverty for these authors. And just so you know, some of these authors are super like politically conservative and some are more uh, socially liberal. But I'm not going to tell you which ones are which. You got to read them and figure out. So good luck with that. So read, research, take that stuff in. And then start a new relationship. Find someone who might be struggling, especially with financial poverty, and start a new relationship. And let me give you a real practical tip on this. Do not have that person be a project for you. No person deserves to be a project except for you can make yourself a project. So say, I'm the one who needs to learn, so I'm going to enter into this relationship with a posture of, I really need, I'm the project here. Please help me work on myself. Show me what it's like to be able to live in your shoes. Teach me about what, what life is like for you and help me understand some of the systemic things that might impact how you go about your daily life. So start new relationships, connect in new ways that way. And then for sure, give financially. Like this is a blessing church. This is a church that loves to encourage people, that, that loves to give and give generously. So keep going in that. People, money does make some things better and it can help us connect to each other more and more. It helps connect in some practical ways, but don't allow it to just be financial. Allow it to be relational as well. Make that connection so that you're connected to the people that you're giving to. And then I would say connect and serve with poor churches. So find a way to be able to volunteer or say, how, how can you need, what help do you need? How can you connect? And I'd say a great church to connect with would be Hesed Community Church in Detroit because that's uh, what I'm connected to. So um, I'm just putting this website up here so that if you want to connect with us, you can do that here. It's not a commercial, but I'm just saying, this is a relationship that I'm connected to you all with and we can stay connected through this. So you can reach us through that website or you can find Hesed on um, on Facebook as well. So these are ways for us to connect and continue to build relationship and be able to grow in our knowledge of reciprocity with people who are different than us. So this is my encouragement to you, Grace Ann Arbor, to be able to say, yes, God, what are you doing to be able to help us to connect relationally across these divides so that people's needs can be met, so that I can grow in the grace of giving and receiving, and so that the church can be more unified. That's my prayer for all of us today. Let's pray, let's pray together. Oh, Father, you are a good, good Father who provides for our needs. Uh, I confess, as I have already said, that sometimes I have a tendency to want to provide for myself, uh, independent of you, I don't acknowledge that things come from you all the time. Please forgive me for that. Would you help us as a community to acknowledge that you are our source, that you are a provider of daily manna? Jesus, you said you are the bread of life. Would we recognize that? Would we live by that? Would we trust that? Would our heart, would our treasure be with you, Lord, and not in our financial statements. So God, would you help us as a church to know how to connect, how to grow, how to continue to take steps forward to see your kingdom come more fully in Detroit, in Cambodia, 
in the Congo, all around this great world that you've created. Would you connect us more for your glory and for our sanctification? We thank you and we trust you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.